Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Our gospel reading this morning comes once again from Luke, the eighth chapter, verses 22 to 25. Listen again for God's holy word. Excuse me. iPad. Once again, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. One day Jesus and his disciples boarded a boat. He said to them, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they set sail. While they were sailing, he fell asleep. Gale force winds swept down on the lake. The boat was filling up with water, and they were in danger. So they went and woke Jesus, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. But he got up and gave orders to the wind and the violent waves. The storm died down, and it was calm. He said to his disciples, Where is your faith? Filled with awe and wonder, they said to each other, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God around us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. About 13.7 billion years ago, the entire universe was packed in a bubble. A teeny tiny bubble, thousands of times smaller than a pinhead. And then suddenly that bubble exploded. And in a fraction of a second, the universe grew from that microscopic bubble to something bigger than our entire Milky Way galaxy in less than a second. But it didn't stop there. It just kept growing bigger and bigger. And billions of years later, it's still growing. After the Big Bang, it took 300,000 years for the universe to cool down enough for atoms to begin to form and for the universe to start to fill with clouds of helium and hydrogen gas. It took about 9 billion years after the Big Bang before the Earth began to take shape. And it's only in the past 200,000 years that the first humans began to walk the Earth. The origin story of our universe is remarkable. But how do we reconcile this scientific story of our universe with the one that we read in Scripture? Our reading from Proverbs this morning gives us what seems to be a very different account of the beginning of the cosmos. And so today we consider whether biblical wisdom is compatible with modern science. We'll return to the science of the universe in a few moments, but let's turn now to Proverbs 8. Our reading this morning that Gordon read from picks up in the middle of a poem that stretches out over the eighth chapter of Proverbs. And it's a poem where Lady Wisdom, this character who appears throughout Proverbs as a feminine personification of God, uh, Lady Wisdom is speaking in the first person. And she says, the Lord God Yahweh created me at the beginning. 
I was formed in ancient times, at the beginning before the earth was. When there were no watery depths, I was brought forth. So the first question I want to take up this morning is, who exactly is this lady wisdom? Who is this character at God's side at the beginning of the universe? Let me begin by saying that lady wisdom is not God. That is, chokmah, the Hebrew word that is translated as wisdom, this feminine word, is not simply another name or title for God. Instead, according to Proverbs, lady wisdom is an independent entity created by God. And if you translate the verbs used in Proverbs 8, to 24 more literally, the verses read something like this, the Lord God fathered me at the beginning. I was birthed by God. In other words, wisdom is the firstborn of God the Creator, the begotten child of God the Father and mother of all creation. So wisdom is not God, and yet Lady Wisdom is inseparable from God, intimately associated with and intertwined with God from the very beginning of creation. All this leads us to another question. What's wisdom's role within creation? Now, the text is clear that Lady Wisdom is there from the beginning, witnessing the beginning of creation. But things really get interesting in verse 30 when Wisdom said, I was beside God as a master of crafts. A master of crafts. What a mysterious phrase. What does that mean? Most biblical scholars agree that the term implies that Lady Wisdom wasn't just a witness to the creation of the cosmos, but an active participant in creation, a co-creator with God in some sense. Scholar Raymond Van Leeuwen puts it like this, Proverbs 8 personifies wisdom as the architect associate of Yahweh God at the creation of the world. The Hebrew word amon, in verse 30, translated as master worker or master of crafts, is wisdom personified as the king's architect advisor through whom the king puts all things in their proper order. To put it plainly, Lady Wisdom is God's creative assistant in the ordering of the universe. And not only that, but if we step back and look at the broader wisdom tradition in Scripture, it makes clear that wisdom wasn't just involved in the creation of the universe, but has an ongoing role in our cosmos. Wisdom is portrayed as a force woven into the fabric of creation that continues to guide the cosmic and moral order of our universe. And to this end, one, one scholar calls Lady Wisdom the agent of divine creation in sustaining the cosmos. And so according to the biblical wisdom tradition, God governs the universe by this invisible force of wisdom. And this became a key part of ancient Jewish-Christian cosmology, of a pre-scientific understanding around which key elements of our Christian theology about creation was shaped. And for centuries, nothing really challenged this view of the universe or God's role in it. 
That is, until the scientific revolution. One scientific breakthrough after another answered how and why the universe behaves the way it does, culminating with Isaac Newton's discovery of the laws of physics that govern the universe. And these laws revealed in, in order a logic, even a predictability to the universe. Building on the discoveries of Newton, the 18th century French scientist Pierre Laplace proclaimed that if we could determine the position and velocity of every particle in the universe, we could calculate the entire future of the universe. Now, in one sense, you could see how this new knowledge about the universe could feel like a threat to the church. A mysterious universe that once could only be explained by invisible forces of God could now be explained by mathematical laws. But if you ask me, I'd argue that this kind of deterministic physics actually uh, jibed pretty well with classical Christian theology. In the end, the church didn't really need to change its theology all that much. All the church had to do was proclaim that God had created these laws of nature and that God governed the universe through them. And since it could be argued that only God knew the position and velocity of every particle in the universe, so God remained the only complete source of wisdom in the universe. But then, in the early 20th century, another scientific revolution unfolded. Around the turn of the century, scientists gained unprecedented access to the atomic and even the subatomic world. That is, the tiny components that make up atoms, like electrons and neutrons, and even smaller than that, quarks and leptons and gluons and the like. And this field, the study of subatomic particles, came to be known as quantum physics or quantum mechanics. And as scientists developed quantum mechanics, they soon discovered that Newton's laws of physics had limits. At the atomic level, Newton's laws broke down. They simply didn't work. Instead, they discovered that at the atomic and subatomic level, the behavior of the universe was inherently unpredictable. And eventually, they came to the realization that the idea that we could calculate the entire future of the universe was simply wrong. So how did they arrive at that conclusion? Well, if you're still listening, brace yourself, because I'm about to give a very brief primer on the evolution of some key ideas in quantum physics. In the early 1900s, Max Planck and Albert Einstein published papers that led to the understanding that subatomic particles aren't just particles. Well, they are particles, but they're not also always particles. Sometimes you see they're waves. That's because sometimes particles behave like particles and sometimes like waves. And if that's confusing, it's because it is. Even Einstein said it was confusing. About 20 years later, German physicist Max Born devised a mathematical formula to measure the probability density of finding an atomic particle at a given point in space by squaring the magnitude of the particle's wave function. 
In other words, he devised a formula to predict the probable location of a particle in the universe. A year later, in 1927, another German, Werner Heisenberg, developed the famous uncertainty principle, which states that the more precisely you know the location of a particle, the less precisely you can know its velocity, and vice versa. To put it another way, you can't actually know both the location and the velocity of a particle with certainty. Finally, physicists studying these somatopic particles realized that their observation of the particles actually affected the particles' behavior. In other words, our human involvement, our human observation actually changes the future. This is known as the observer effect in quantum physics. Okay. Even if you didn't understand any of that, and it's okay because Richard Feynman, who won the Nobel Prize for quantum physics, said, I can safely say that nobody understands quantum physics. Even if you didn't understand most of that, it's okay because here's what I want you to hear. The ultimate upshot of quantum mechanics is that the universe is open and probabilistic, not fixed and deterministic. Again, remember how Newtonian physics said, tell me the location and velocity of every particle in the universe and I will tell you the future. Well, quantum mechanics says, tell me how the world is today and I'll tell you the statistical probability that tomorrow the universe will be one way or another way, but we can't say for sure. The bottom line is that according to quantum physics, the future is unknowable. It is inherently open. So let's connect this back with biblical wisdom now. Returning to our reading from Proverbs, we're told that God's wisdom permeates the order of creation. And that God governs the universe by this wisdom. Therefore, we can observe God's wisdom in the design and the activity of the universe. Before Newton's laws of physics, the universe was truly a mystery governed by an invisible and unknown force of God. Then Newtonian physics gave us laws for the physical universe, ostensibly clearing up some of this mystery and revealing a predictable and orderly universe. But for me, at least, quantum mechanics makes God's design for the universe more mysterious than ever. And it forces us to confront the question in a quantum universe where the future is genuinely open, where is God and what is God's role? For me, quantum physics can and should disrupt our old ways of understanding the wisdom of God and of understanding God's presence in the universe. This disruption isn't a threat to our fundamental belief in God. It's not a threat to my faith in a God who is present, active, all-knowing, and all-powerful. It just changes how I understand how God works in our universe. The affirmation of faith that we're about to proclaim together in a few moments says that God called the world into being for the sake of sharing love and freedom. God called the world into being for the sake of sharing love and freedom. 
So if the wisdom of God in creation is love, then even in the midst of the uncertainty of quantum mechanics, we can trust that God is always leading the entire universe towards love. I like to imagine the spirit of God's wisdom woven into the fabric of creation. That wisdom is always at work. Even at the subatomic level, somehow, some way, influencing the movement of atoms, electrons, and quarks towards the paths that lead to love. And yet, God never coerces the universe. There's genuine openness. The future is not certain, not preordained, because the wisdom of God also values freedom. Because of quantum mechanics, I believe in a God who accepts a genuinely open future. A God who works in possibilities rather than certainties. I believe in a quantum God. And yet I also believe in a living God. Not a God who is detached and who sits back and sees how all these probabilities will play out, but an imminent God whose wisdom is constantly guiding the universe down paths that lead to love. That, for me, is quantum Christian theology. To be sure, it's a theology without simple answers, with more ambiguity than certainty, with more mystery than dogmatism but it's a faithful mystery that I'm willing to live with. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.